When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket, which this week we're going to look a little bit at the state of England, looking ahead to the World Cup, and also later we've got a fascinating interview actually with a leading coach in the IPL, the South African Paddy Upton, and how he reflects the way that coaching has changed, especially in the one-day era, the way that coaching has evolved. Just before we get into our discussion, just a reminder that the new issue of the cricketer is out in two days' time, the June issue, which looks back at the first month of the county season and a little bit at the IPL as well, and it covers the whole gamut of what's going on in the world of cricket. And you can get your free issues of The Cricketer if you go to thecricketer.com forward slash magazine, and there is a free trial offer there, so get into that as quickly as you can. We're covering England in that issue, and England actually have got one or two slight Issues themselves well, coming it, into the World Cup. It feels as if the the countdown to the World Cup is is beginning sort of in earnest now, doesn't it? The England players are, are gathering later this week in, in preparation for their matches against Ireland and, and Pakistan. The IPL players are, are just about finished now. Some of them already back. Pakistan are on their way as well, saying they think they've got all bases covered as far as the World Cup is concerned. I mean, it, the excitement is. is Definitely building, although, of course, it's still another five weeks to go until the start of the World Cup itself. The weather seems to be playing ball, which is great for players who are preparing for the World Cup, trying to get into into decent form. One or two issues for England. Uh, Jason Roy, uh, he had that hamstring problem that uh, brought to the end his Caribbean tour. Then he had back spasms in a recent one-day cup match. He came back to bat but didn't field. There's Alex Hales, who's not playing for Nottinghamshire at the moment for, for personal reasons. 
Chris Wokes, uh, you know, who knows quite where he is with that knee problem. He has been playing for, for Warwickshire, but his appearances have, have been limited. So, just, you know, just one or two issues for England. But, of course, then there's someone like Johnny Bairstow, who's been in magnificent form in the IPL, which would be great for his confidence uh, going to the, into the World Cup, you know, opening with Warner and producing all those you know, incredible opening partnerships and, and just smashing it everywhere. So, you know, there are, I suppose there are minuses and pluses, but, it's, you know, it's still five weeks to go before everyone has to be in, in tip-top net for the start of the competition. Mo and Ali, actually. And Mo and Ali, yeah. Done pretty yeah. well, too. And Even- I, Eventually. I mean, slow start, but yeah. he's, he's really come good. Uh, Joffre Archer, who will obviously be playing uh, some games in that one-day series against Pakistan, he's been in top form, bowled probably the quickest balls of the IPL so far, about 152 kilometres an hour, 93, 94 miles an hour. Uh, I, I loved, actually, there was a Yorker he bowled to Hardik Pandya, when the uh, Mumbai Indians were, yeah. were looking really dangerous and Hardik Pandya was, was just on the point of let, cutting loose in the first innings of the game. And he bowled this Yorker, the first ball of the last over of the innings. which I, I mean, Wacko Eunice could not have mm. exceeded it. It was just fantastic. 93 miles an hour, late in swing. It hit Pad- Pandya actually on the toe. In fact, I think he almost trod on the ball. And the only way of hitting that was to, to dig it out with a shovel, and he was LBW on review. I mean, just to, if Archer can produce those, he's in my World Cup team for sure. I was just about to ask you that. I mean, from what you've seen in the IPL, I mean, is, is he advanced his case in the last few weeks quite significantly? Well, he, he certainly hasn't detracted from it. I, you know, it, the trouble is you, you only get to bowl four overs. You get to bowl quite often in three spells, and... You don't really enable a. It doesn't enable a bowler to build up any pressure on a batsman because he bowls a few balls and then he's taken off and he comes back later. But I think that the way he bowls at the end is better than anything else England have got. It doesn't always work. It doesn't always come off. Occasionally, you do go for six. I mean, Rishad Pant hit him for a big straight six uh, to nearly win the game the other uh, the other night. But. It, it generally, he just looks in control and he's got something extra. So yeah. What about Ben Stokes's IPL? I mean, yeah. He clearly is going to be a, a crucial player for England this summer in both formats. I mean, I just wonder whether actually I've sort of been mulling over this and thinking about the last few weeks whether actually T20 is Ben Stokes's is weaker suit of, of, mm. of the three. That the, the more he's involved, i.e., you know, he gets the ball four overs, or only bats for four or five overs, depending on where he bats in the order in IPL. So the less involved he is, then of course the, the, the least effective he is. He's one of those cricketers who needs fifty over cricket or needs Test cricket yeah. to show off his his full range of skills. Well, I think, or because, is he just still struggling at the moment? Well, I, I think it's. I think it is that if you look at the diff, the three different formats, Test cricket. Uh, 50 over and T20, each of them is a slightly more extreme version and therefore you get more hyped up, don't you? And test cricket, you know, the best test players generally, certainly batting-wise, are the guys who are the calmest. And actually Stokes, in a test environment, just plays his natural game. They don't put men on the boundary very much, so he can play a naturally aggressive game and get boundaries. As soon as uh, in T20, where he's already hyped up, they put men out on the boundary, and he thinks, well, the only way of me getting runs here is to hit balls over their heads. And he tries a bit too hard and just you know, loses his shape and miscues it. So I think he's, he puts himself under too much pressure 
to create an impact in T20 instead mm. of perhaps just playing a, a fairly more a, a bit more of a fluid sort of game rather than a power game and bowling wise you know his bowling has has gone downhill I think I think his, his pace isn't great and he hasn't taken any wickets and he's he's giving away silly sort of full tosses, free hits, things like that. And he hasn't bowled about the last three games. Yeah, well, eight, eight matches for Stokes in the IPL. He's taken six wickets. He's only bowled 16.5 overs. He's gone for 11.22 runs per over. That's a lot. And he scored 112 runs, uh, one reasonable score of 46, a strike rate of 125. He's not had the impact in the IPL that Rajasthan Royals were, were hoping for, expecting, really. All paid for. <laughs> All paid for, yeah. Uh, he, he did have an impact in the IPL two years ago. But he hasn't really been able to, to back that up. But hopefully in his home environment and in a 50-over concept where I think his, his natural gifts will, will be more valuable, you know, he's not someone, I think, who can just come in and belt it. Mm. it, it you know, it, t- it takes a certain type of cricketer, an Andre Russell type, to be able to do that. You know, look at Chris Gale. Chris Gale doesn't go in and belt it straight away, generally. He plays himself in and then unleashes. So I think Stokes has just got to get Something in his head about playing in T20, just relaxing a bit more, actually, and, and putting himself under less pressure. Well, that's the players. Uh, let's turn to coaching now. Now, you, you have a theory about sort of modern-day coaching, don't you, about how, <laughs> yeah. the, how the, the start and the, and the start of the 21st century is sort of split up in terms of eras of coaching. Yeah, and I mentioned the word pressure there, and, and it's all about that, really. Uh, certainly this modern era... Because if you look back, I think you can almost divide, let's say, the last 25 years into three groups of eight years, glorified decades. The first decade, sort of just before the the millennium, is the fitness decade, sort of from, let's say, 97 to 2007, say. Where all the players got fit, where the coaches put the emphasis on fitness. We're going to be the fittest team. We're the fittest team, at least that gives us a chance in those marginal moments. Yeah, Yeah, and and, nutrition came into it as well. A little bit about sleep, you know, just generally looking after your body Rehydration. Yeah, absolutely. Then from 2008, beginning of the IPL, actually, for the last sort of seven, eight years, it's been the data decade where... Teams have really got into the analytics. Each team has an analyst. I was the only analyst once. Now there's hundreds <laughs> of them. Uh, and, and, you know, they all do their job of, of carefully following the game, monitoring the game, getting videos of the game, getting uh, data sheets and Hawkeye printouts and so on for the batsmen and bowlers to follow particular plans and be quite sophisticated in how they apply those plans in individual matches, particularly in, in one-day cricket. So... That's up to sort of 2017, 2018. And I think the next decade is going to be the mindset decade because that's the the one kind of frontier that a lot of teams and coaches haven't yet climbed over or overcome. How you deal with pressure, how you deal with those critical moments, how do you put out of your mind the importance of that moment shutting the, the pressure out so for example in, in the world cup coming up there are going to be big moments in in lots of games and teams are going to stand or fall by what happens in those what what's referred to as clutch moments aren't they, they those, those key deliveries it might be a key over it might be a, just a split second decision that you you take whether to come back for a second or to just 
stick mm. on one and try and get the runs on, on the next one. It's those sort of things. And, you're and talking sort of about. not trying to avoid the choking mm. moments, which we obviously like. For example, 1999 yeah. at Edgbaston yeah. when there was that infamous run out involving Lance Klusner and, and Alan Donald, which you were commentating uh, on. Yeah. They go for it. I mean, incredible moment, and you could just—it it almost happened in in slow motion. It wouldn't have felt like that for the two batsmen out there. It just—it was un, unfolding slow motion cricketing disaster for South Africa. One in which actually sort of—I mean—still haunts them now. I think, doesn't it? And mm. and you know, it's it's, it's something that is always labelled, always attached to the South African team, and they they actually they really resent it inevitably. Um, but it's there. So it's, the, it's those sort of things you're talking about. Those sort of things we're talking and, and about. And I think the, the, the point we're making, in a way, is that teams have all caught up now. They've all got fit. Yeah. And they've all got the data. Yeah. You know, everybody's got a data supplier and an analytics person, and they're putting it all together. And the, 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 the teams are probably equally well prepared. And we're talking here IPL teams, we're talking international teams, even county teams mm. have got... I mean, some of the counties actually are still behind, I think. But generally, professional cricket is professional. Mm. But what they don't have, many of them, is someone who can apply some mental knowledge, some real sort of psychology to get them through those critical moments. And this is where Paddy Upton is interesting because he's the one standout coach in the IPL because all the others are quite familiar names. Yeah, we've got Gary Kirsten, Ricky Ponting, Jack Callis, Mike Hessen, who perhaps not... I mean, everyone should know, really, in the, in the world of cricket, but the, the former coach of New Zealand, he wasn't a uh, you know, standout player, but certainly did well with New Zealand as the coach. And there's uh, Fleming. Stephen Fleming. Stephen Fleming. Jai Wardner and Tom Moody. Those are the, those are the seven coaches of the, of, of the IPL teams. And then there is Paddy Upton, who's the coach of the Rajasthan Royals, who, is, who comes at it from a completely different way. Yeah, uh, Paddy Upton's background is he, he was a player briefly for Western Province, and, in fact, he made a century in his first first-class game and then only played one other and then retired and became a strength and conditioning coach initially and then went to become a mental and executive coach and worked in business, actually, as much as he did in cricket and worked with the South Africans, he worked with the Indians, he's worked with various IPL teams before, but this is the first year he's head coach of an IPL team. He's written a book which is called The Barefoot Coach, which is out this week, actually, which kind of almost assimilates all his knowledge and learnings from the world of cricket and uh, the world of business too, and the things you can do to, to perform better, both in work and in, and in sport. So Paddy Upton sort of rather turned coaching on its head. If I go back to my career as a player, you know, there was only one method of coaching, and that was you know, encourage people to go out and play well. But if you didn't play well, if you failed... It was quite a nasty atmosphere, especially if it was lazy or, you know, sort of error-strewn. You know, we'd have naughty boy nets, we'd have the coach the next day whacking balls at us as hard as he could if we'd fielded badly, which practically ended up with, we ended up with broken fingers. It was a a rather uncomfortable atmosphere. There was a fear of failure Mm. because of what would happen as a result uh, the next day. And Paddy Upton doesn't have that approach at all. So let's hear what his philosophy is. I'd almost put pressure and fear and failure, fear of failure. They, they're overlapping. They're not the same thing, but they overlap. And they are, in my experience, the two biggest obstacles to success. So pressure, the anatomy of pressure, 
is that the amount of value we place in the result is directly translates to the amount of pressure someone experiences. So why, why do people place a huge um, value on a result? So that's one of the places we can deal with pressure. Um, so initially it's to, to devalue the result and bring the emphasis back onto the process. And we all understand that. Focus on the process, the result looks after itself. Don't focus on the result, focus on the process. It's easy to say, it's much more difficult to do in the high-pressure moment where results become consequential. Well, also, because you're putting in so much resource into performance that it's, it must be hard to devalue that performance when you've seen so much effort put into that performance. So, no, no, we don't devalue the performance. We devalue Sorry, the, the result. Outcome, I mean. yeah. It's really as a fine balance. That's now getting into the fear of failure, is when players drop a catch too badly, what happened last night, we blow out in the last three overs. How the leadership reacts in that situation determines the, the degree that which fear of failure will be experienced. So no one shouted, no one, you know, it had. there was no carry on about that. There was just mature conversations around, so if you were in that situation again next time, there will be a next time, what would you do differently? So we talk about solutions as opposed to beat people up around. Looking problems. forward rather than looking back, yeah. maybe. Mm. Very much so. And I mean, there's, and that, there's, there's a very important psychology around dealing with errors. Whereas if you look at what the problem in the past, it creates, it shuts down learning, it creates defensive attack mechanism, it pricks a person's ego, it undermines their confidence. And we actually know it also breaks the relationship down between the person, even if you're doing it with the best of interests. But if you were to look at, and the question that we ask here is, okay, if you were to, it's okay that you made a mistake, we're in the mistakes game. If you had that over situation over again, what would you do differently next time? So we divert their attention to the future, they create solutions, and while they're creating solutions, it engages the creative part of their brain, it engages learning, um, it builds their confidence because they see themselves succeeding, and research even says that the relationship between the person helping them create the solution that an individual actually grows and trust builds. So how you relate to mistakes, has a huge impact on a player's mental game. Now, it's amazing even in the short space of time, that's how I always address problems with players. It takes them quite a long time, and two weeks to sometimes only in the second season where players realize when they make a mistake, it's actually okay. They're not gonna get beat up about it. They're not gonna get spoken about in the coaches meeting behind their back. And they realize that it's actually okay to make an error. So I cannot now focus on not making mistakes. I can actually focus on chasing success. Right, that's Paddy Upton, who's the coach of the Rajasthan Royals, the head coach of the Rajasthan Royals. The first time he's done that job this season. Now, they haven't gone very well, have they? Mm. They've, they've struggled. Um, yeah. So... Is it working? Does, well, yeah. I mean, does it, does it mean that it's not working? Or is it you, you've got to give it time? Or, and you know, we'll look back in 10 years' time and say, actually, this man was a pioneer. Or this man had you know, really interesting ideas that everyone else has adopted. Yeah, I, I think... Hopefully the latter, because I think he's a decent guy who's really studied the game very carefully and sport in general. I think he's hampered, actually, by having some players that aren't very good. And in the end, it doesn't matter how good a coach you are, you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear, can you? Mm. So there are players in that Rajasthan Royals team, especially in the bowling department, who just aren't really that good. And therefore, they're found out, no matter how effective the coach is at sort of saying, look, don't worry about failure, it'll, it'll be okay, you know, it's not important, it's, it's not 
it's not a sort of criminal offence to lose. Don't you know? You don't go and beat yourself up. But nevertheless, if you're not good enough, you're going to get beaten, aren't mm, you? Yeah. So he's working with players that perhaps aren't quite good enough, or maybe they're not sophisticated enough to be able to impart his his ideas. Right, Sam, we've heard Paddy Upton's sort of general philosophy, his, his approach to coaching. What about his idea? I think this is really interesting. You know, the World Cup's coming up. There are going to be some big moments, as we say. What about dealing with those really big moments, that, that one ball, that mm. one over that's going to give you the World Cup or not? That, that if you like, that Edgbaston 1999 moment when South Africa were level with Australia and blew it. Well, if you look at, and I, I don't want to sort of necessarily compare a World Cup final with a Nat West final, but that's the best experience I've got of playing in a one-day final at Lords, which, you know, in the 1980s was was a big moment. You know, you had probably seven, eight million people watching oh, they were really, telly. They were and, really big matches. Yeah, and they, 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 international yeah. players playing yeah. and the full house and all that, and it was the sort of climax of the season. Mm. And you bowling the last over in those games, you know, with 10 to win or 12 to win or whatever... Uh, I'd had no training at all. You just had to kind of believe in yourself and hope that it went well. And I think if so I look no one back talked at, you through a, no, a death over or anything no, like no, that. No, or? not at all. And and uh, you knew. And I mean, Desmond Haynes, in fact, who played in one of those finals, reminded me afterwards that the difference between winning and losing was sort of ten grand a player, something like that. So. Uh, you know, Desmond Haynes reminded me several times in the future. In fact, he continues <laughs> to remind me that he he'd planned to buy a spoiler and a new sort of set of alloy wheels for his sports car back in Barbados, and he had to bin them all once we lost this this final against Warwickshire. Uh, so I cost him about ten grand. But and so that is in your mind when you're bowling that final over. And I think what you know, if I look back at video of that, I I, I rushed it. The best sportsmen in those critical moments seem to have a calmness, a composure about them. Obviously, MS Dhoni is a classic example. I think Joss Butler's actually a bit like that. Tiger Woods, you know, he famously, in his pomp, never lost a golf tournament when he was leading on the final day. And I remember Justin Rose telling me once when he played with him in the final round of a, of a leading tournament, this is about 10 years ago, he said he was amazed that, that Tiger turned up on the morning of the final round and he was as cool as anything mm. and chatting away, really casual, not taking too much time over his practice swings, playing a natural game for the first half of the round. He was really relaxed. And then once he was still leading the, the tournament, he really focused in that last sort of seven or eight holes. I think I'm right in saying as well that England's penalty shootouts of World Cups and European Championships, just just switch to football for a minute, is that when they timed those penalty shootouts, that England were taking their penalties quicker than other teams. It's the idea of of rushing those mm. big moments. And you are because you're in that sort of panic mode, very very nervous, apprehensive. You, I think you do rush things, don't you? And that's not the way to go. It's all about trying to take a deep breath, trying to take it slow, almost trying to meditate. And clearly Paddy Upton's attitude to this is to practice the panic moments that you're likely to experience. It's very hard to simulate the end of a match, you know, with mm. eight to ten to win and you know, fifty thousand people screaming in the in the crowd. You can't really replicate that. 
Paddy Upton's philosophy is that you can practice to get into the right mindset to really deal with those critical moments. We can practice every single aspect of cricket except how do we practice that high pressure moment, recreate that high pressure moment or recreate zoning or being in the flow in the face of the distractions from that high pressure moment. We haven't been able to find that. And it's, it's early days exactly how we apply it in cricket, but I have found how to, what the neurophysiology is of that f- uh, panic or choking moment, high pressure moment in a game. It's effectively a fight or flight response. We now can track exactly what happens when the amygdala in the brain triggers a fight or flight response. We know what triggers it. So now I found a way through the science of meditation, what's happening in some other extreme sports, um, like how to, like, well, free, free, free diving, big wave surfing, um, some of them, what the extreme athletes are able to do where their minds overcome their physiology and their body, so the, the mind over matter, but we can now see what happens in the mind when they do that. So we found a way to recreate that um, at will, on mass, even just in a team room. It's very early days, so I don't want to talk in too much detail um, about it. You know, as the season unfolds, we'll see. But already, I've been doing it for a week, and players are reporting some amazing things that are happening for them. But effectively, what we're doing is it's not sports psychology where we fine tuning players' focus or visualization under pressure. We're actually going in a neuro hacking, so we're triggering the fight or flight response. Uh, and in a 15-minute training session, they trigger it six times. And in order to succeed, what, what the, the, the thing is, it's a trigger fight-or-flight response. Now, on a cricket field, the fight-or-flight response is always a false alarm because that is, it's a survival, ancient survival mechanism. Um, on the field, it's triggered, and it's normally related to ego and what I look like if I fail or desperation to succeed. So the fight-or-flight triggers, which shuts down our thinking brain which is effectively the same as panicking um uh, we focus on the problem so we become distracted we are not under any survival threat on a cricket field it's a false alarm and the survival mechanism is triggered to fire very early for our survival so people are able to in survival situations they they endure these feats of physical endurance way beyond what any normal human being can because they have to but the reality is we need to learn how to override that early, number one, to false alarm. And on the cricket field, it is always too early and it's completely false because there is no threat. So we found a way to trigger it where players get into a mental, physical, highly stressed situation that is also a false alarm and they learn how to become centered and zoned so i can have 25 players they do an activity that stresses them out and i can see if anyone comes out of the activity i know you've succumbed to your body or brain um, and other players are able to hold it for longer you have to be able to zone in order to override the stress signals from the brain and the body and we can do that at will every day okay so you can practice prepare for those big moments he wasn't giving everything away there is there more you can tell us about this yes so he talked about fight or flight and panicking and the way he's found to practice this is to get players sitting in a group or individually 
mainly in a group, and holding their breath. And see how long you can hold your breath for. Now, he stresses it's quite a dangerous thing to do if you don't know what you're doing. So this is not something to try at home without, you know, experienced people around. But apparently, and I've never tried this myself, but apparently you can suppress the urge to breathe. You can actually hold your breath for longer than you think. And you can train yourself to do that. And that's what, when he mentioned about these extreme sportsmen, mm. that's what they are able to do. In fact, I was talking to someone the other day who said he's a, a very keen scuba diver and snorkeler and has trained his body to dive down underwater and hold his breath for over a minute. Mm. And, and other people he dives with can do it as well. It's training your body to do it. And they actually do it. Not only do they do this, uh, Paddy Upton's protégés, not only do they do this in the hotel room or perhaps in the dressing room, but even in the swimming pool. They'll go underwater, certain players, and will try to hold their breath for longer than they think they need to and try and suppress that panicking urge to come up for air. So how does that help you? Just to put that onto the field then, how does that help you when it is three to win off the last ball in a World Cup semi-final or you're the bowler and you've got to hit your Yorker because they need three to win off the last day or they need six to win off the last day. I think it's close. Last ball. It's a good question. and It's close to meditation. It's it's trying to shut out the enormity of the the excitement and the pressure of that moment and just kind of almost retreat within yourself and realise that it's not a life and death moment mm. at all. Don't panic. Take lots of deep breaths or you know, even hold your breath if you want, but just try and almost isolate yourself in, into that situation without all the extraneous stuff. And you know, basically try and be calm. Mm. You know, don't panic is the sort of essential thing, but, but practising to not panic, knowing that you can actually survive this. So calming yourself down, really lowering your heart rate which, I mean, is a key thing. And then there's more chance of you being able to, to bowl that ball that you want to bowl. So when you ran in in that 1989 Nine. Cup final, mm. was your heart pounding yes. as you were running in? totally. Mm. And, and, you know, everybody's nervous in big moments in sport. You know, schoolboys will be, schoolgirls will be playing and they'll be nervous you know, in their moments. You can overcome nerves by, uh, you know, being calm and experienced and knowing that you can in a way you know the key to overcoming nerves is knowing that you can do it you know knowing that it's okay to feel nervous yeah but then the next stage and this is what paddy upton's working on is is almost sort of suppressing those nerves physically as well as mentally do you think someone like Josh Butler sort of does it instinctively i mean he, when he bats you, you watch him in, in one day cricket and he seems to be Ice cool is is, mm. we, is that the same thing we're, we're talking about? I or, think, or, but you know, certainly certain players have that naturally, don't they? You, can, you know, look at Owen Morgan. I mean, look at Doney yeah. the other day. He was he, he needed twenty six yeah. off the final over, and he nearly got it. I know, you know, in the end, he actually failed, but he, he probably was almost too relaxed, sort of yeah. thing. So you know, he got twenty four, and then the last ball they got run out, so he, he didn't manage to achieve it. But I, there clearly are players who just have it naturally. And, uh, you know, actually, I've talked to Paddy Upton about it, and he says it's, it's almost close to being psychopaths, almost. You know, psychopaths have this, you know, almost this ability to suppress any kind of 
nerves or anything. And the, the, this, the, the psychology of players who have this ice in their veins yeah. is sort of almost related slightly to psychopaths, which is a slightly alarming thing to think, but there is a psychological parallel. Well, that's the challenge for all the players in the, in the upcoming World Cup, isn't it? To be able to just control themselves in, that, in those really big yeah, moments. Totally. Of which, of course, there will be many. Well, it's, it's, so you think that the, sort of the mental side of the game is going to be the, sort of the, next, the next big thing in the next sort of decade or well, so? I mean, or or is, it, is it not already part of the well, game? I think it is already part of the game. And but it's I'm not so as all-pervasive as data and fitness, because they, they are yeah. just givens now, aren't well, they? Well, I, I think it ha- you know, the mental part of the game hasn't yet become so integral because no coach or few coaches have really managed to to master Mm. how to pass on this stuff you know it's very it's close to neuroscience Mm. and there aren't many coaches who are neuroscientists but clearly Paddy Upton's getting there in the end you've got to have the players and if you haven't got the players it doesn't matter what you do neuroscientifically they're not going to be very good but if you've got players who are prepared as well as they can be, and they're also, you know, trained physically and scientifically with all the data. They're almost on a, 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 a the same sort of part. They're almost on the same playing field. How do you find the next level? This is it. Mm. So it's about it's about ultimately it's about Five those, those little it? percentages, yeah. isn't it, that can turn a losing team into yeah. a, into a winning and team. Look how close a lot of these one day games yeah. are yeah. now. You know. One or two balls, one or two runs can decide them. Yeah, I mean, I was. You always think when they, when it's a really close finish, team wins by three runs. You think, or you know, or, or sometimes a team that is the chase seems a long way away, and then ultimately you get within five runs or seven runs, and you think, well, just look look back somewhere early in the game. You know, something. You know, it's probably one or two balls earlier in the game that if that had gone our way. Anyway, I know it's. All, I know that is all ifs and buts. Um, well, f- fascinating stuff. I mean, it's, it's uh, sorry, it's, a lot of it's over my head. Um, so we'll keep on the case here and yeah. trying to uh, f- see how it evolves. But be interested to hear from from any of you uh, at home. You know, when you're listening to this, what your view on overcoming these these pressure moments is. There may be sports psychologists amongst you. So please write in and let us know what you think. The email address is theanalystpodcast at gmail and anything that you, you have to say about this subject or any other subject would, would be gratefully received. Actually, it'd be great also if you'd review this podcast on iTunes because we haven't had any reviews for a while. And they're always pretty good, and it's nice to see some feedback from the listeners so we know what to talk about. Yeah, and if you enjoyed this episode of The Analyst Inside Cricket, tell someone else because they might do so as well. Yeah, so thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Bye for now. Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.